Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. I'm Anthony T. In this edition, this is an all-WrestleMania weekend show. Meaning, I'll first go over some horror news, which I have. Then, um, it's all wrestling. Next segment will be Ring of Honor, Super Card of Honor. The next two segments after that will be WrestleMania 38, Night 1, then Night 2. Then the final segment is Joey Janela's Spring Break 6, covering both nights in one segment. That means I'm covering five shows and three events on this podcast. So I've got a lot of material here. I have no guests this episode, obviously, since I've got way too much material to work with here. So let's hit you up with some horror news first. Starting off the news... Let's just say we're going to go with a casino-like type beginning to the news. That's right. As according to bloodydisgusting.com, and I'm going to read the headline here. Radio silence. You know, the people behind Scream 5, not Scream 2022, Scream 5. And ready or not, are teasing a risk it all approach to scream sex when i hear those words risk it all it sounds like you're at a casino literally where you're playing your cards you're playing texas hold'em when you're willing to risk it all when you think you have the better hand sometimes it works out so well sometimes You lose it all. Case in point here with this. When I heard the headline, Radio Silence teasing a risk-it-all approach to Scream 6. Oh bleep. This is going to be either, could we be going the route of Ready or Not with Scream 6? If you've seen Ready or Not, that film is just bonkers. Literally bonkers. And the ending of that film is not an ending where you can say it's a mainstream type ending. And when I heard and read this article that they're going to take a risk it all approach. In fact, let me read the quote as both Matt Bentinelli Olpin and Tyler Gilnett made their first comments about Scream 6. They said this movie has to be willing to risk it all in order to subvert all those expectations. That was something Galette told Empire, which I believe is a British publication. He adds, And we're so far down the rabbit hole of Scream movies that it's all up for grabs at this point. This sounds like anything can happen in the next film. Literally. Meaning all bets are pretty much off. You don't know what the hell's gonna happen. Where they're gonna take the franchise as... I thought Scream 5 did a great job taking the franchise in a new direction quite frankly. And I really hope it continues to keep going in this new direction. Because quite frankly, you can't rehash 
the same material all the time. Meaning they must have something up their sleeve for the next Scream film. I like it when filmmakers take risks. Seriously. And this sounds like Radio Silence is gambling here. And taking a major risk with one of the beloved horror properties of the last 30 years. And I like that. Seriously. I wish more filmmakers tried to take a more risky approach. The way they're talking about this film tells me they're taking a huge risk in the future of the Scream franchise. And that's a good thing because I'd rather see it fail and take that risk than have some rehashed film from 20, 25 years ago. So, it's going to be a very interesting film. And Scream 6 comes out next March. March 31st, 2023 to be exact. So it's going to be a very interesting time as Radio Silence is taking the Scream franchise to the casino and going all in to top Scream 5. Hey, I'd rather have something fail and somebody try to do something different than do the same movie over and over again. Moving on, I have some Oscar news. Now, before I get to this Oscar news... I will not be going over the play-by-play, blow-by-blow of the incident that happened at the Oscars. Go find some other Oscar podcasts where they dissect that incident, which I'm not going to talk about because it's not related to the horror genre here. But instead, I am going to talk about a certain horror film that won the Oscars fan favorite awards. Now, this is a film that you might not think would win a Oscar, period. Seriously. In fact, I would not even consider this film Oscar material. Now, to set everything up, the Oscars did a thing where the fans got to vote for a couple of awards. Their favorite film and their favorite moment. Unfortunately, that was such a bad idea, and I'll tell you why. Because it brought out none other than the Zack Schneider bots. That's right. First, he wins Best Cheer Moment, his version of Justice League, in which the fans voted the film to take home the biggest cheer moment award. Then, the Oscars' fan favorite award went to, wait for it, Zack Schneider's Army of the Dead. Yes, that's right. Army of the Dead won an Oscar award. Even if it's a fan favorite award, it feels like an Oscar award. This film beat out Films such as Lin-Manuel Miranda's Tick, Tick, Boom, Spider-Man No Way Home, and Amazon Prime Cinderella. Seriously. I don't know what kind of universe I'm living in. There was another horror movie in the top ten. There were like two total. As you had that one in Malignant, which I 
believe it should have been given the award, period. Because, quite frankly, that's a, a way much better film than Army of the Dead. Even though I loved Army of the Dead, I don't understand why the fans voted for Army of the Dead. But then again, it probably had to do with all those Zack Schneider bots. Guys got a following, man. When you got a loyal base, they can do wonders for you. They can make noise, disrupt things. And Zack Schneider fans did that by giving both fan-favorite Oscar awards to both of Zack Schneider's films. Are you kidding me? Is that the only way horror is going to get recognized at the Oscars if Zack Schneider's name's in it and the fans force them to recognize them? I don't get it. Seriously, why Army of the Dead ended up on the Oscar broadcast. This is the problem when you do fan favorite awards. You get the nuttiest winners. And yes, I do now have to associate the Oscars with Army of the Dead. Crazy. It is crazy. But what can you do? At least horror got mentioned at the Oscars. Finally in horror news, Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures are getting ready to make the sequel to Godzilla vs. Kong. Another film in Warner Brothers' monster verse. Why we need another sequel or the expansion of the monster verse? I don't know. I know everybody went to watch this film, whether on HBO Max or in theaters. But still, I don't know why we need another Godzilla film or another Kong film, quite frankly. But we are getting one. The film's going to be titled Son of Kong. So I'm guessing it's going to be another entry in the MonsterVerse, as I kind of find it hard it would be a sequel to Godzilla vs. Kong. But anything is possible. And there are also talks that Adam Wingard will be returning to the MonsterVerse to direct this film. Now, we don't know if he's going to return to it, but that's unclear at the moment. But here... I want to give some career advice to Adam Wingard. Seriously. Because I like his work, but I can't stand him wasting his career on these stupid King Kong and Godzilla films. Now, I may not be an expert or pretend to be one, but Adam Wingard's a great horror director. He's done some very good horror films, such as Your Next... The indie film Pop Skull, which not many people have heard, but is a very good psychological horror film. He's also directed segments in the first two VHS films. He's also done the very underrated Thriller The Guest. He's a very good director. I just don't want to see him literally waste his talents on films such as Kong vs. Godzilla, and those types of films. Unless if he's going to write the screenplay for them. Because he did not write the screenplay for Godzilla vs. Kong. As he pretty much just directed that film. 
The guy is a very talented filmmaker. I just don't get why he would just sit there and take a project like Godzilla vs. Kong. And now he's rumored to be directing Son of Kong. With the trend of the latest MonsterVerse films from Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures, they are not good films. So I really hope Adam Wingard stays away from this film, quite frankly, because He's much better off doing stuff on his own. Seriously. Or at least have some hand in the screenplay as well. If he's going to go back to this universe. Because I really do not want to see Adam Wingard back in this Kong vs. Godzilla universe. Or whatever other monsters they can come up with to make movies. Adam Wingard is way too talented to be wasting his talents on these monsterverse films. He's better off doing original horror films. And Godzilla and King Kong are not films that I don't think are suited for him. But if they let him write the screenplay for Son of Kong, maybe it'll be good. But I'm doubting that. Knowing how Warner Brothers didn't let him write the screenplay or have him co-write the screenplay of Godzilla vs. Kong. I just want to see Adam Wingard have a good career. Seriously. And I just hate it that his talents are being wasted with these films if these rumors are true. And with that, that's the news. Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast here, the discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. If you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers are smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right. Exactly. www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back. Now, Ring of Honor Super Card of Honor took place April 1st. And this was the first show under the new regime of Tony Khan. You may remember he purchased Ring of Honor outright, meaning the company and the tape library, to keep the show as is, as this was a scheduled show before Khan brought the company, and it ran against AEW Rampage, because both companies are technically under one umbrella, even though AEW technically did not purchase ROH, Tony Khan purchased ROH. And I have to say, with 
the short amount of time that he had with this show to get settled and booked. This is a very good show. This is a very entertaining card from top to bottom. Now, I'll give you a quick recap of the main card. The main card started off with Swerve Strickland defeating Alex Zane. Then Brian Cage, who was Tully Blanchard's mystery opponent for Ninja Mac. Pretty much squashed Ninja Mac. And don't get me wrong, I love Ninja Mac. He's great in GCW, but man, did he feel like a jobber in this match. Then Jay Lethal defeated Lee Moriarty. Then Mercedes Martinez became the interim Ring of Honor Women's Champion by defeating Willow Nightingale by submission. FTR defeated the Briscoe Brothers to become the new Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions. After the match, the Young Bucks attacked the Briscoes with FTR running in for the save, which I'll talk more about in a bit. Then Minoru Suzuki wins his first title in North America by defeating Rhett Titus to become the Ring of Honor World Television Champion. Wheeler Uter defeated Josh Woods to become the Ring of Honor Pure Wrestling Champion. And Jonathan Gresham defeated Bandito to become the Undisputed Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion. Overall, this was a great show. Some of my favorite moments of this card, one being the beginning, Swerve Strickland versus Alex Zane. It was everything I was expecting it to be. High-flying action, good psychology. Alex Zane was insane. There was one spot where Alex Zane did a poison runner off the ring apron. Those two worked very well together. I would like to see Alex Zane more in Ring of Honor, quite frankly. I think he could be perfect in the new Ring of Honor developmental system for AEW. Because I think there's a lot of potential for Alex Zane. The next thing I really liked was the Jay Lethal heel turn. They've been teasing it for weeks on AEW television. Him losing to Adam Cole. Him losing to John Moxley. Hell, we can go all the way back to Final Battle, where he lost to Jonathan Gresham for the interim Ring of Honor title. I like how they've been playing this whole Jay Lethal story, where he can't get the big win. And he's about ready to lose to Lee Moriarty on a Ring of Honor pay-per-view, who is a step below the Adam Coles and the John Moxley's of the world. And to have him fully turn heel at that point was genius. Because I was expecting that to happen maybe on AEW television. Quite frankly, against another big opponent. Maybe like an Orange Cassidy or someone else. To do it at Ring of Honor, Super Card of Honor, was an interesting move on Tony Khan's part. Because it's going to pay off later on in the show. Which I will talk about later on. But that was a good match between Jay Lethal and Lee Moriarty. There's some good back and forth action. Lee Moriarty keeps impressing in the ring. I'm telling you, about maybe three, four years, this guy's going to be maybe where Jungle Boy Sammy Guevara is right now in AEW. On that level. Because he's that good. Literally. 
I could see him really being the future of all elite wrestling. But Liam Moriarty lost after Jay Lethal low blowed him, then hit the lethal injection for the win, which effectively turned Jay Lethal heel. It's about time because it's a nice change for the character between the foundation and his AEW character. It was time for a character change for Jay Lethal. As you'll see, I'll talk more later about it. Another big highlight on this card was the Briscoes versus FTR. Now, this match was billed as a dream match. And when you build something like a dream match, it has to be a home run. This match was effing insane. Words cannot describe this match, quite literally. Because I really had a fun time watching this match. This was like crazy spots. You had Jay Briscoe one point getting slingshot underneath a table. You had the Briscoes hit Big Rig on one of FTR. Mark Briscoe hits a corkscrew on Cashew Reeler. The finish uh, this match was the Briscoes were setting up for the Doomsday device on Harwood only for... Mark Briscoe to get knocked off the top rope by Cash Wheeler. And they hit Big Rig on Jay Briscoe to become new Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions. In an excellent match. Literally one of the best matches this weekend by far. This definitely lived up to the hype. It lived up to the dream match build that this match had. Then... Post-match, as FTR was leaving, the Young Bucks come out of nowhere and superkick the Briscoes, attack them, until FTR ran back in to make the save. As, at this point, they are feuding again, as they're already, as of this recording, had their second match on AEW television. So this was building up to a TV match. The following Wednesday. That already took place. So. I don't know anything about this match. I'm not going to talk about this match. Don't expect anything about this match. This is being recorded before that match. Overall the Briscoes versus FTR ruled. And the final match I really want to talk about. Is the main event. Between Jonathan Gresham and Bandito. This was a great match. This had some really great wrestling in this match. You had a slow, methodical pace to start off. You had some fast-paced wrestling. You had some unwanted shenanigans. As when you bring Chavo Guerrero Jr. out for your match, he's going to do something outside the ring to cause trouble. You know it? I know it. But thankfully... Banditos kicked him out of the match. Very rarely do you see a wrestler have his own manager kicked out of the match. But that's what happened after Chavo Guerrero Jr. tried to get involved in this title match. Banditos also had a very sick delayed suplex which lasted for one minute. I'm not kidding. That was a sight to see. Seriously. It is so hard to even hold somebody for maybe 10 seconds. But for one 
full minute. That was such an amazing sight to see. Match also had Jonathan Gresham kick out of Bandidos' finisher, the 21 Plex. The finish comes when Gresham rolls Bandidos up and traps his shoulders for the pin. To become the undisputed Ring of Honor World Champion. Post-match, John Gresham gets on the mic. But Jay Lethal returns to confront Jonathan Gresham. This leads to a fight. Then Sanjay Dutt comes out from the back. Who, who's trying to calm down Lethal. Only to swerve everybody and join Lethal in attacking Jonathan Gresham. Lee Moriarty came down to even the odds, but to no avail, as he also got attacked too by Dutt in Lethal. Then, the music hit. It is none other than a Ring of Honor legend Samoa Joe returning to Ring of Honor. That was an amazing moment to see. He got a Sanjay Dutt in the Coquita Clutch. Jay Lethal escaped, pretty much show over. But still, Samoa Joe is back, and he's going to be working both Ring of Honor and AEW from here on in. Now, one of the main things that I really liked about the show is the ending really sets up a couple of different directions for Jay Lethal, quite frankly, as we got the Samoa Joe-Jay Lethal match. If you remember back in Ring of Honor lore, back to the beginning days of Ring of Honor, where Jay Lethal's mentor was none other than Samoa Joe. He pretty much brought him into this business. Then you got Jonathan Gresham on the other hand, whose mentor is Jay Lethal. And without Jay Lethal, Jonathan Gresham's not in the place that he's in right now. Jonathan Gresham's been a great wrestler, but he's never been able to get to the next level until he started teaming with Jay Lethal. They have a couple of different directions where they can go with Jay Lethal next. I'm assuming we're probably going to get a Jay Lethal Samoa Joe match down the line. Jay Lethal Jonathan Gresham match down the line. Now with Samoa Joe signed to AEW and Ring of Honor. Maybe we get a Samoa Joe CM Punk match. That would be the match I want to see. Please book it, Tony. We need to see Samoa Joe versus CM Punk at least one more time. We need to see Samoa Joe versus Brian Danielson at least one more time. But back to this pay-per-view. This was a very good show. Given the circumstances of this show and the fact that this show literally had pretty much no build, hardly any promotion, but it had that curiosity factor because of all elite wrestling. And if that's your first Ring of Honor show, you cannot say you were not disappointed with the show because that was a very good show. And I have to give a lot of credit to Tony Khan here. For really trying to book a great show under the logistics of this. Because quite frankly, a couple of weeks ago, we didn't know the COD was going to look like for this show. But everyone who performed on this show really brought it. Whether it was the main COD or the pre-show, everyone really made it 
for a very entertaining night of wrestling. I really enjoyed ROH's Super Cut of Honor, as this show really did a good job in ushering a new era of Ring of Honor, no matter what this new era of Ring of Honor is. I really highly recommend you definitely check this show out. It's worth the $30. Hey guys, this is Stephen Christina. I'm the founder, owner, creator, and host of Super Retro Throwback Reviews. Are you looking for the best movie reviews, music reviews, video game reviews, and Comic-Con coverage all around? Well then look no further. Definitely check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on YouTube and our new audio podcast, the new and improved Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Files version 2.0 on the following media distributors. Podbean, Google Play, Stitchers, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. Pass is over, John. Time for something new and improved. Every day, there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness. There's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment. And there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer. And they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scares That Care is a 100% volunteer organization and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scares That Care, you can go to www.scaresthatcare.org. Every donation helps Scares That Care fight real monsters. Welcome back. Now we are at the portion of this wrestling-only podcast in which... You would think I would crap on WWE because we are now at the point where we're going to talk about WrestleMania 38. Going into this pay-per-view, I had little to no expectations, quite frankly, considering that WWE has constantly dropped the ball month after month after month. But I decided I will watch WrestleMania 38 because... It is WrestleMania after all. So, I could not do a podcast without talking about WrestleMania 38. Now, I'm going to talk about both Night 1 and Night 2 here. We're going to start off with Night 1. As I'm going to try to cram this all into one segment, literally. Let me first go over the results of Night 1 of WrestleMania. Then I will talk about Night 1 of WrestleMania. Then I'll go over the results of Night 2, and then give you my thoughts on Night 2 of WrestleMania. Night 1 of WrestleMania started off with the Usos defeating Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs to retain the SmackDown Tag Team Championship in a match where Rick Boogs got injured, which was very unfortunate because it was getting to be a good match up until that point. Next, you had Drew McIntyre defeating Happy Corbin. By pinfall, then you have The Miz and Logan Paul defeating Rey and Dominic Mysterio. Then Bianca Belair 
defeated Becky Lynch to become the Raw Women's Champion. Cody Rhodes made his return to WWE. We all knew that was probably going to happen as he defeated Seth Rollins. Charlotte Flair defended the SmackDown Women's Championship by defeating Ronda Rousey. And in the main event, Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated Kevin Owens. Yes, it's 2022, and Stone Cold Steve Austin had a match. And that's not the only person who had a match in 2022, which I'll get to in a bit, to my dismay. But still, he defeated Kevin Owens as originally was supposed to be a KO show segment and turned into a no-holds-barred match. Now, my thoughts on night one. Night one was... Probably the best of both nights, quite frankly. There's pretty much almost nothing went wrong with that show. Maybe with the exception of video packages for every match, which became annoying. Which, I'll just get out of the way right now. The only real negative I had, which I was so annoyed about night one was. There was like video package after video package before each match. Come on. I do not need to see 10 million video packages for each match. When I want to see a wrestling card, I want to see wrestling, not video packages all the time. The only time they didn't do a video package was the opening match, and that's it. But it was just so ridiculous. Seriously. It got to the point where the New Day versus Sheamus and Ridge Holland had to be moved to night two. And that was a debacle too because that match on night two only got two minutes at least. Which I'll talk about more when I get to night two. But there were a lot of good stuff on night one. First, I really liked the fact that Drew McIntyre versus Baron Corbin wasn't a long match. Drew McIntyre pretty much beat him in under 10 minutes, which is really good because I kind of really don't want to see Baron Corbin. I do not like Baron Corbin or Happy Corbin or his ridiculous sidekick, Riddick Moss. But it still did not need the long video package of Happy Corbin. Seriously, it really maybe took me out of the beginning of that match. But once that match got on, it was a good match. I had a good time watching it. I didn't think it needed a post-match angle where Drew just slices the ropes in half. We know what the sword can do. Seriously, we know what his sword can do. We can make believe what that sword can do. You don't need to show it to everyone, quite frankly. But still, it was a good match. Then you had the, the Miz Logan Paul versus the Mysterios. The match was alright. I was surprised Logan Paul was good, quite frankly. I was expecting probably the worst. He was a hell of a lot better than Johnny Knoxville, that's for sure. Don't get me started on Johnny Knoxville, as I'll get to that later on, too. I liked how Paul at least took this seriously, in which he prepared for his match. I might not like the guy, but I can respect the guy for at least preparing and going out there and do an actual wrestling match. He and The Miz beat the Mysterios. Then afterwards, The Miz turns on Logan Paul, which made no sense. I don't get that one, that's for sure. Meaning that we're probably going to see The Miz 
and Logan Paul fight each other at some point. Why, I don't know. Seriously. I probably would have changed the ending to that match, having the Mysterios win, then turn on Logan Paul. But still, this was a good match. Then, afterwards, it was Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch in one of the best matches of WrestleMania weekend, quite frankly, as those two women were very good. This was not like the SummerSlam debacle from last year. Both of those women really did a great job in the ring. They both had great chemistry. I liked how the action in that match was fast-paced. I liked there was some psychology to it. It kept me very interested in the match, which you want. It was the better of the three women's matches on the WrestleMania card. And quite frankly, probably top three matches on both nights of WrestleMania. And next we have another match that probably is the best match on the whole WrestleMania weekend card. It was Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins. Now, you probably figured it was probably going to be Cody Rhodes all along being the mystery opponent. But it kind of scared me that there were rumors that Shane McMahon was being flown in on Saturday. So that did scare me a little bit. But thankfully, it was Cody Rhodes. Both Rollins and Cody Rhodes had a great match here. Intense action. They did a great job making sure the action had a feel that kept you interested in the match. Very good counter-wrestling. Hot hitting moves. A lot of really good near falls. Finish was amazing. Cody hits crossroads twice. Then hits the bionic elbow. And then hits crossroads again for the win. That was a really good match. And overall, literally, I really enjoyed this match a lot. It's probably the best WWE match of the whole weekend. Then we got Charlotte Flair versus Ronda Rousey. I was not into this match at all. I think felt like the chemistry in that match really felt lackluster at times. It did pick up a little bit, but the match was overbooked. You had the referee get speared by Flair after she tried to hit the figure eight on Rousey. Rousey went for a submission on bar. Nobody there to see Flair tap. Ref gets up. Flair nails Rousey with a boot for the three count. It was a really boring match. I just could not get into this match at all. It was probably, if I have to say, probably the worst match on this card. Then we had the Kevin Owens show. Now, here's a little criticism about this. Why did they build this as the Kevin Owens show when we were going to have a 10-15 minute no-holds-bod match? Did WWE know day of that Austin felt like he could wrestle a match? That's so, I can understand that. If they knew like two, three weeks ago, I don't understand why we needed a Kevin Owens show segment before the match. Because that literally did nothing. It just killed time. i like to know. Seriously. Did Austin feel like Day of Day could do the match? If so, I can understand it. If he told them two weeks before he could do the match, then why did they just do a KO segment at WrestleMania for nothing before the match? They could have done the KO segment with Stone Cold the night before WrestleMania or the week before WrestleMania, but they didn't. They waited. I don't know what happened, but still, we got Stone Cold Steve Austin wrestling. It's a good thing. I don't care. I don't want to see him wrestle again. Seriously. I got nervous when I heard he was going to wrestle might or might wrestle. 
He's still got it, but I don't want to see him wrestle again for his own sake. I'm happy this is, I'm hoping it's a one-time thing, and that's it. But the match was good. He didn't embarrass himself. I thought both of them did a very good job really ending night one of the show. It was a good match. Typical Stone Cold Steve Austin match. Brought up some memories from the Attitude Era. I enjoyed it. Had a fun time watching it. And it was kind of perfect having him face Owens. Stone Cold wins with the stunner. Ends night one. As it was a very good show. Minus the endless video packages. If WWE needs to curtail one thing on their shows is video packages. As I know we didn't see much in night two. But night one was just such a disaster when it came to video packages. Because this show could have been over literally in three, three and a half hours. It didn't need to go almost four hours. And that's night one of WrestleMania 38. I will be back with my thoughts on night two of WrestleMania 38. Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast here, the discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the films, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. If you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers were smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back. Moving on tonight to a WrestleMania. You had RK Bro defeat the Street Profits in Alpha Academy to retain the Raw Tag Team Championship. Bobby Lashley defeated almost... Thankfully, because if almost won, I would have probably shut this pay-per-view off. I'll give you my reasons why when I get there. Johnny Knoxville defeated Sami Zayn. Don't get me started. I'll get to that one, too. Sasha Banks and Naomi defeated Queen Zelena and Carmella. Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan and Natalya and Shayna Baszler. To win the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship, Edge defeated AJ Styles by pinfall. Sheamus and Rich Holland defeated The New Day in a match that went under two minutes. I'm not kidding. We can thank Night One and all those stupid video packages on Night One for a two-minute match. Then we had Pat McAfee defeated Austin Theory. Then... And we will get to another edition of this bleeping wrestling promotion here. Mr. McMahon defeats Pat McAfee. 
Why is Mr. McMahon wrestling when he's 76 years old? I don't get it. Vince McMahon has to have the limelight. It's like, it's ridiculous. Seriously. I don't get it. It was good back in the Attitude Era. It's not good now. Seriously. And the fact that he had a match at WrestleMania was so ridiculous. And a reminder why WWE is off the rails, quite frankly. Then in the main event, Roman Reigns defeated Brock Lesnar to become the unified WWE champion. Night 2 was different than Night 1. I have to say that. First, the event started off with Triple H coming to the ring and laying down his boots in the middle of the ring, signifying his retirement from wrestling. It was a very somber WrestleMania moment, as Triple H was and is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, whether it's in D-Generation X, or when he became a huge singles star, or when he was in Evolution, Triple H really was one of the biggest stars in the history of wrestling. His matches were always good. He always brought a high level of intensity to his matches. It's really sad to see him having to retire due to his health situation. But at least we got one last Triple H WrestleMania moment with him coming to the ring. And bringing his boots and just laying them right there signifying his retirement. I'm definitely going to miss Triple H, quite frankly. As sometimes he could be overbooked, but he definitely was one of the best in-ring workers. After that, the main card started off with RK Bro versus the Street Profits versus Alpha Academy for the War Tag Team titles. This was a very good opener. I was very surprised. I thought all three teams worked very well with each other. The action was very good. It was quick. It was intense. There was a sick RKO from Riddle. Then one hit one to Gable for the win. It was a very good opener. Got me into this card. Then we saw Gable Stevenson get in and, and get at it with Chad Gable. Then we got into the worst part of the WrestleMania shows. And it was like back-to-back. First, we had Lashley beating Omos. Thankfully, Lashley was the one to beat Omos. Sure, you want someone young, someone you can build to beat Omos. But I don't want to see Omos winning a WrestleMania match. I'm sorry. This guy is just kick-punch, kick-punch. He has no charisma in the ring. He has no charisma with his moveset. It feels very basic. It feels like something from the 1980s. This match was completely boring until the end when Lashley made his comeback and got the win. Then we probably had the second worst match on this whole WrestleMania card. Sami Zayn versus Johnny Knoxville. I knew this was going to be bad, but... I didn't think it was going to be this bad. This felt like an episode of Jackass. Seriously. You have like a mousetrap board. You had Johnny Knoxville use various things 
on Sami Zayn. You had part of Johnny Knoxville's crew also come into this match as well, which made it even more stupid. You had a giant mousetrap board. You had a table, mousetrap board table. You had a giant hand. It's like all of the shenanigans in this match were completely stupid. There was no sense of wrestling. This was just purely sports entertainment. It was horrible to watch. And the match ended when Johnny and his jackass crew trapped Sami Zayn in a giant mouse trap for the pin. It was just horrible. Oh, I don't know why I watch wrestling. It's stuff like that that really makes it unappealing to me. Too much shenanigans. And this was not the worst thing on this card, quite frankly. Next, you had the women's four-way tag team match, which was surprisingly a good match. As I think all eight individuals worked very well together. It's just that the WWE women's tag team division is not taken seriously. But still, this was a good match. I enjoyed it. Then we had Edge versus AJ Styles. This was a great match. I think there was a lot of great psychology. The action was great. There were some really nasty moves. Loved Edge's entrance as it's very brood-like. The ending happened when AJ Styles was going for the flying forearm when Damien Priest appears. Distracts AJ Styles. AJ tries to hit the flying forearm only to be speared by Edge. Edge pins AJ Styles. It looks like we're getting a brood-like faction on Raw. And that's a good thing, seriously. To have Damian Priest associated with Edge. Because he seemed like he was in limbo the last couple months. But now, it seems like there's a direction for him. Next, we had Pac McAfee in Austin Theory. That was a good, fun match. I enjoyed it. Both Pat McAfee and Austin Theory were very good in this match. This was an entertaining match. I love how Pat McAfee came into the White Stripes Seven Nation Army. Love that song. It was a really fun match. But that got ruined because of Vince's ego. And now this is the point where I welcome you to another edition of this bleeping wrestling promotion. After the match, Pat McAfee wins. Pat McAfee wants Mr. McMahon in the ring. I was hoping Mr. McMahon would just tease and do something heelish and not give the match. I would have been happy with that tail move here. But we did not get that. Vince McMahon got in the ring and had a match with Pat McAfee. The match lasted about four minutes. A lot of interference from Austin Derry, which allows Mr. McMahon to win. 2022, Mr. McMahon wrestles a match and wins a match. This is crazy. You had Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon wrestle a match in 2022. This is just beyond belief here. Seriously. And there's more overbooking to come. First, the match ends when McMahon punts a ball to McAfee's groin when he's down to pin him for a three count. 
It's like, I'm saying to myself, what the hell? Seriously? Really? Do we need people using balls to the grind? Because I saw this earlier during the Johnny Knoxville versus Sami Zayn match. Where a bowling ball was used to the groin. And it gets even better. They are celebrating in the ring. Mr. McMahon and Austin Theory are celebrating. Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out. Where the hell was he? Three minutes ago. Seriously. It would have made a lot of more sense. Seriously if he came out three minutes ago. To attack Mr. McMahon, caused him to lose, and everyone would have been happy. But no, Vince needed to soak his ego so he can win at WrestleMania. It's like ridiculous. Seriously. Vince McMahon is so out of touch. If they were going to overbook this segment, I would have overbooked it to have Pat McAfee go over... Mr. McMahon, but no. You know what? We'll bring Stone Cold Steve Austin back after the match to stun pretty much everybody, including one of the worst stunners of all time to Mr. McMahon. Mr. McMahon cannot sell a stunner for the life of him anymore. That was like the most horrific Stone Cold stunner I have ever seen. Man, all this overbooking people. Seriously. That's what happened here. They overbooked this match. They should just had Pat McAfee versus Austin Theory. Everything would have been fine. But no, Vince probably had to put his hand in so he can have a big pop at WrestleMania. I just don't get this bleeping wrestling promotion. Seriously. And that ends this edition of this bleeping wrestling promotion. Let's now I'll go on to the main event of WrestleMania 38. Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. This was an okay match. Felt like something was wrong in this match. It literally felt like something was missing. It started off good, but it just went down and down. I felt like the finish was rushed. Because it felt like something might have went wrong. As there's rumors that Roman Reigns may have dislocated his shoulder. But still, it was not the big match that it was hyped up to be. If you want a big match that was hyped up to be, look at FTR versus the Briscoes from Supercard of Honor. That was hyped up big time. And that delivered big time. This was hyped up big time. And this was, okay, a normal title match, whatever. But it felt like there's like way too many finishers being used in this match, especially by Roman Reigns. Overall, I prefer night one. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot to talk about something. The New Day versus Sheamus and Ridge Holland. That match did happen during the pay-per-view. Somehow, seriously. I can't tell you what happened because literally, it was literally only a match that was only under two minutes. It was like blink and you'll miss it kind of match. Seriously, WWE. You did not need to air highlights from last night of WrestleMania. The thing they should have done literally 
was to find some way to give him more time. If not, just put the match on the pre-show. Seriously. Because I totally forgot to talk about this match because it barely even happened. Oh, by the way, Sheamus and Rich Holland won the match. But still, it barely happened. That's how I totally forgot about this match, quite frankly. Because we had 10 million video packages on night one. In night two, we felt the need to have some highlights from night one. There were a lot of timing problems this weekend from WWE concerning the way they were presenting both shows. This is WWE, not an indie promotion. You expect timing to be down perfect with WWE, but night one really screwed up the timing for both cards. They need to do less video package and more wrestling. Because there's no need for highlights for night one or highlight packages for low card matches. Because they just don't need to do it. Seriously. It's ridiculous. But that was WrestleMania 38 for the Bucks. You can tell I probably prefer night one, even though there was 10 million video packages in, on night one. It was the better of the two shows by far, because it didn't have stupid matches like night two had. I hope their big shows follow the same template as WrestleMania, as it's now on to WrestleMania Backlash in the great state of Rhode Island. Yep. Rhode Island is hosting a WWE pay-per-view. Knowing them, they'll probably put on one of the worst cards of the year. Seriously. But we'll see. You'll find Anthony T's horror and wrestling show on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Instagram, and the Splasher app at Anthony T's Power and Wrestling. And on Twitter at Anthony T's Power. You'll find new episodes... On DocDiscussions.com, major podcast providers, and YouTube. Welcome back. Now, this is the part of the podcast where if you have kids listening, they should not be listening to this podcast. Because I will be talking about Game Changer Wrestling. And when you talk about Game Changer Wrestling, you know what we're going to talk about. Light tubes, pizza cutters, staple guns, etc. So, this is definitely not for kids to listen to. I'm telling you right now, if you have kids listening to this, you might not want them to listen to this. Because I'm going to talk about Deathmatch Wrestling here as Game Changer Wrestling ran their annual Joey Janela Spring Break, as this was the sixth of Joey Janela Spring Break spread over two nights. Quickly, night one, then results night two, then quickly into night two. Night one started off with the Briscoe Brothers defeating the second gear crew in the hate club of Nick Gage and Slade to become new GCW World Tag Team Champions in which new tag team belts were introduced. Then we had Blake Christian defeat A.R. Fox. Then Mickey James defeated Ali Catch. Then Nick Wayne won a six-man 
seven-man scramble that included Gringo Loco, Ninja Mac, Jack Cotwheel, Jordan Oliver, Alec Price, and Jimmy Lloyd. Joey Janelle defeated X-Pac for the Game Changer Wrestling World title. John Moxley defended the title against the Extreme Champion AJ Gray. And in the main event, John Wayne Murdoch defeated Alex Colon to become the new GCW Ultra Violent Champion in an insane match. Now, some of the matches that really stood out for me on this card were definitely A.R. Fox versus Blade Christian. It's always great to see A.R. Fox. He's literally one of the best wrestlers never to end up in WWE or AEW. You have to see this guy live. He's one of the best high flyers out there. Literally. I've seen him many times live at Beyond Wrestling shows in the past. He is a great talent. I'm very surprised he never ended up in a big promotion. But the two really did a good fast-paced match with a mixture of great high-flying in some cool spots. Christian hit his finisher, the Golden Trident, for the win. The seven-way scramble also stood out. That was just insanity. The finish happened when Nick Wayne hit a 630 onto the floor, knocking everyone out. He threw Jimmy Lloyd back in the ring, and he hit an ace crusher for the pin. Then Mox and Gray was another really good match. That was insanity. That match literally was a typical John Moxley match. Goes all over the place. You had a barbed wire door, light tubes, one even wrapped in barbed wire. It was, you even had a ladder in the match too as well. Pretty much playing off of the world of GCW brass ring match in which AJ Gray won. It's a very good match. AJ Gray is a very underrated wrestler. He's one of those guys that can do it all. Deathmatch, regular match, anything, he can do it. He's one of those talents that's flying under the radar. Then the main event was just an ultra-violent spectacle that started from the ring introductions. When John Wayne Murdoch smashed Alec Colon with a light tube bundle to the head during Cologne's intro, and to say this was a very violent match is an understatement. Glass was everywhere, as there was tons of light tubes, literally, all over the ring. Cologne was pretty much a bloody mess from the start. You had a lot of spots with light tubes. You had Cologne use one with a leg drop, with Murdoch holding a light tube, nailing that. Cologne also got thrown off the top rope, through a door with light tubes set up. It, this was just insanity. You even have a tope suicida in which Alex Cologne performed while having a light tube in hand. That match was insanity. The match pretty much ended when Cologne tried to hit Murdoch when he was lying in the post. Instead, Murdoch moves out of the way. Then Cologne... Looks like he injures his arm. Murdoch suplexes Cologne through light tubes for one count. Then Murdoch gets a two by four. Then hits Cologne on that injured arm. Locks in a submission. 
for the win and becomes the new ultra-violent champion in what was an ultra-violent spectacle. To say that's a regular hardcore match would be an understatement. You would never see glass all over the place in a regular hardcore match. But still, that was just pure insanity. Literally. From minute one to the last second of that match. Very violent way to end that show. On to night two. And night two was also a fun time too. Let me quickly run down the results of that card. Chris Dickinson defeated Matt Cardona. Tony Deppen defeated Biff Busick. Speedball Mike Bailey defeated Jordan Oliver, who subbed in for PCO due to him having an injury at the Impact Wrestling Show a couple of hours before Part 2 Spring Break happened. Minoru Suzuki defeated Effie and the main event in the Cluster Bleep, or billed as the Greatest Cluster Bleep. The second gear crew of AJ Gray, Matthew Justice, and Mance Warner survived the match. Don't ask me why this match ended with three survivors, as this was a very weird match, as you can enter as a team. And that's what happened, as they were the survivors of that team. It's just crazy. It was so crazy, that match. Seriously. Matches that really stood out for me on night two were the opening match, Matt Cardona versus Chris Dickinson. Very great way to stop the show. Cardona had a lot of great heel heat in this match, as he always seems to have a lot of great heel heat everywhere he goes, including GCW. A lot of great action in this match. Entertaining. The end of this match came when Chelsea Green stole Missy Hyatt's purse, then entered the ring to try to hit Chris Dickinson. Instead hits Matt Cardona. Chris Dickinson hits the Pazuzu Bomb for the win. The next match I really liked was Tony Deppen versus Biff Busick. Those two wrestlers really gelled well together in the ring. Whether it was the technical stuff or the back and forth strike, this match was intense. Probably my favorite match on night two of Joey Janelle's spring break. Loved the finish as it was insane. As Deppen hit a snap German suplex. Then a quick knee strike for the win. Very surprised that Tony Deppen won here. As I really thought that Biff Busick was going to go over here. Even though Tony Deppen's a GCW regular. In the back of my mind thought Biff Busick was going to get the win here. Seriously kind of surprised they went that way. But still, that was probably the best match on this card. Speedball Mike Bailey versus Jordan Oliver was another very good match. Fast-paced, high-flying match and hard-hitting. A lot of impact moves, including Jordan Oliver hitting two cloud cutters for a two-count. The finish came when Bailey hit the Falcon Arrow for the win. That was a very good match. The Cluster Bleep match was just bonkers. Joey Janela entered at number one. Now, here's the story going into this match. At the beginning of this show, it started with Joey Janela promo saying he was going to win it and end this match for good. Well, he did not win the match, nor did he last to the end as he drew number one, but lasted pretty much over two-thirds of the way of the in this match, this match had a total of at least 44 entrants. 
That's insane. Probably over 50 wrestlers in this match if you count teams. It's just crazy. Seriously. That match is bonkers. Literally. It's probably the most bonkers match you will see all WrestleMania weekend. You had some really good spots in this match, including Maven, who comes in, drop kicks everyone, then leaves the building. Yes, you can be eliminated from this match by just leaving the building. That's just like, crazy. Then, after that, wrestling journalist Jean Rossap appears. That was like, what the hell is going on? Seriously. I was like, what? <laughs> this is bonkers. That a wrestling journalist is in a battle royale. Only at Joey Janela's spring break that it works so well. Then, when he's rambling on about how he's better than every other wrestling journalist, plugging Fightful Select, Josh Barnett comes out. Before Josh Barnett gets a chance to kill him, Sean Rossap's own employee, Denise Alcedo eliminates him from the match. This is Joey Janela's spring break. Anything can happen. Seriously. You could see pretty much anything. People coming out of nowhere eliminating people. Hell, you even had the Invisible Man in this match. You had two people leave the building. Slade, who's a tough guy, got eliminated by leaving the building and commentating, putting it over, is that he had to meet his parole officer. Crazy. But then again, it's a cluster bleep match. Anything can happen. Buff Bagwell was in this match, injured at number two. It's just crazy. Just literally insane. Thankfully, he did not last long in this match for his own health. You had guys like early morning guy Steel, Grim Reaper, Burr, who's a GCW mainstay. You had teams like LA Fights, which is GCW's Los Angeles developmental promotion. You had the tag team Young, Dumb, and Broke enter the match as a tag team. And you had the second gear crew, which consisted of five people entering the match. And the match ended when Mance Warner, AJ Gray... And Matthew Justice triple-teamed Blake Christian to pin him and ended the match that way. I just wish the rules were a little clearer that a team is eliminated when the whole team is out. But besides that, it was just another crazy cluster bleep match on Joey Janela's spring break. Overall, this was a very fun two nights. If I had to say which was the better card, Night 1, obviously. But Night 2 had some really good wrestling action as well. Definitely check out Joey De- Janela's Spring Breaks every year. They're usually fun shows. And that, that's Joey Janela's Spring Break Pot 6. I hope you enjoyed my look back at WrestleMania weekend. If I had to say what was my favorite match out of the weekend, it have to definitely be FTR versus the Briscoes. From Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor. Runner-ups include John Moxley versus Biff Busick from Josh Barnett, Bloodsport 8. Bianca Belair versus 
Becky Lynch, WrestleMania 38, Night 1. If I have to say my favorite event of the weekend was the Ring of Honor Super Cut of Honor. With WrestleMania 38, Night 1 being the runner-up for best show. Overall, it was a very good weekend of wrestling. As I had a fun time watching a lot of these shows. I still haven't watched some of these shows. That's how many shows go, that go on during WrestleMania weekend. Now, next episode, I will be talking with the creators of the comic starring Sonya Devereaux as as they have a new issue out called Scream Queen Summer Camp Massacre. Now, this is a comic that also features the likenesses of Brink Stevens, Tiffany Shepis, Linnea Quigley, and Michelle Bauer. So that interview will be up next episode. And I got a couple other things planned for next episode. With that, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And also, don't forget to like Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show on social media. At Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling on Facebook, Instagram, and the Slasher app. At Anthony T's Horror on Twitter. With that, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a good day. Support indie wrestling and support indie horror.